on a Christmas edition of the Driving Improvement Podcast, my first in-studio guest, Lori Russo, president of Stanton Communications, a public relations firm based in Washington, D.C. The discussion covers a wide range of topics that will grab the attention of coaches and players alike as we dive into her 22 years of experience with clients across all types of businesses. In this episode, we talk about learning the hard way in local TV sports, having someone believe in you from the very beginning, and how asking powerful questions is the key to helping people find their own way and reach new heights of success. All this and more on the Driving Improvement Podcast with Mark Russo, right now. Welcome into the Driving Improvement Podcast, everyone. Merry Christmas. And an impromptu evening on the podcast tonight uh, at home with the family, with my lovely wife, uh, President of Stanton Communications, Lori Russo. Hello, Hi. everyone. Hi, sweetheart. Merry how Christmas. Merry I'm Christmas. well. How are you? Uh, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so, if I'm not mistaken, I am your first in studio guest on your podcast. You, you are. You are actually very exciting. Yes, it is. It is. Um, I did not expect to have an in-studio guest, considering we've got um, stationary bikes and carpets and other things behind my lovely little set here. Well, what better way to celebrate Christmas than to give your children devices and lock yourself in a basement storage room with uh, bourbon? By the way, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I love you. Love you too. <laughs> uh, so. Lori, we're, we're going to get started here this evening and have a little bit of fun, and we, we will hit some of the points that the podcast has covered uh, over the course of this year. And first off, I want to tell everyone thank you um, for listening. It's been a, a project of mine that I really wanted to do this year, and we started at the end of April uh, with my fitness coach, Jonathan Ross, and over the course of nine episodes leading up to tonight, uh, we've had over 750 downloads, which... You know, I had no idea what we were going to get into. Um, I'm sure it's going to get bigger. Well, when this one drops, it's oh, getting bigger. Yeah. Huge. Huge. 750 is nothing. Yeah, that'll be off this one alone. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, again, I want to thank all of you for, for joining me and kind of running along the journey here with me. I've learned a lot along this way. And, and again, I've you know gotten a lot of great feedback from everyone, too, uh, about the podcast as well. So I, I think... You know, we've got a great guest, honestly, tonight because uh, my wife, all you know, all joking aside and having fun here, my wife is a twenty-plus-year professional in public relations. I started when I was ten. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, and for all of you who are looking to climb the ladder, um, and especially female listeners, you know, and I've said this many times, but uh, to me, and again, you all know I'm a bit biased. Uh, but my wife is an American success story. Uh, started at Stanton Communications when? 1999, right? 99, yeah. Yep. And as we sit here and speak today in crazy COVID times in 2020, uh, she is the president of the company. And so I think there's a lot to be learned from someone who's been through the ups and downs with the company, who started from the base floor. And a lot of us talk about, hey, I want to get better at golf. Uh, I want to get better at whatever it is, uh, we have to have a starting point. And I have that discussion a lot with students who are not great golfers. They're worried about playing with good golfers. And I say to them, hey, look, 
the people you're playing with don't care how good or bad you are because they were all bad at the beginning too and they started from the ground floor and worked up and my wife is certainly an example of that starting with a company uh, and working her way up so to that end I mean what <laughs> there's so much to talk about honestly <laughs> there's a lot it's been a lot journey, but and you've I, been I, with me every step of the way yeah. so you've seen it all yeah I mean I, I think when you sit here now uh, 20 years in what what have you learned? You know, it's it's funny that you asked me that because just the other day I was speaking to a um, a university class uh, in China, and it was actually a multi multinational group of students, but it was a um, university based in China of journalism and communication students, and it was a question that was asked, "What have you learned?" And I think, you know. It's hard to narrow it down to, you know, the top five tips, which everyone wants to hear. What are your top five tips? But I really do believe that success is a combination of hard work and luck. Some people put talent in there and that's fine. But, you know... I've always tried to be the hardest worker in the room. And that was when I was entry level account coordinator, had no idea what I was doing. Just be the hardest worker in the room. And I still feel that way today, that I want to be the one who's putting in the most effort, the most time, the most thought. And people should expect that of me. But I also think that it is luck. And where luck came in for me is finding a boss who is the founder of my company who saw something in me that I didn't because I didn't I didn't know anything. I came from television, didn't know anything about uh, didn't know anything about PR, um, but he saw something in me. And um, when I look at it now, it's also the fact that I trust his judgment implicitly. And I also believe that he cares about me as a person and he cares about every single person in our company as people. And, you know, I've, I've been lucky that I've been in this uh, company for as long as I have been, but I was, I was somewhere else before and I, the boss didn't even know my name. Yeah. And the the organization wasn't so big that he sh- he he shouldn't know my name and he didn't. And now I'm somewhere where you know the the boss, the founder, the CEO knows everyone, cares about everyone. And um I I think that is the luck part. You know, you're going to go through your shit, you're going to go through ups and downs, you're going to have terrible days you're going to have you know awful situations but if you have someone who who really cares about you as a person um i i think it just goes a long way and that's people ask me all the time why have you stayed at stanton communications for going on 22 years Mm -hmm. and honestly it's because of peter stanton and i truly believe he cares and if you have that combined with that willingness to do that hard work to put in the time to put in the effort to care, to be accountable. I think if you 
can find that sort of magic combination of those things, you can go as far as you want to go. And I'm just lucky that I found it on the, well, I say the first bounce, it was really the second bounce, but um, I, you know, I found it and that's why I stayed. Yeah. I, I mean, I think obviously knowing what I know. I'm I mean, allowed to cuss on this, right? Because I said shit. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, you're allowed to cuss. It's okay. okay. It's Merry okay. Christmas. My, my listeners won't be too offended. Okay. Yeah, and I think, you know, look, the, the luck factor is an interesting piece, and I, I think it's interesting because, honestly, through the podcasts and through some of the um, lessons with a lot of my students and, and everything, I think the luck factor, too, you know, a lot of them don't know where, uh, I came from in getting into the business, and you took the securitist route. Yeah, and I mean, it, you know, we talk about luck. I mean, obviously, I mean, you and I were at uh, Channel Two in Baltimore. You were working on the assignment desk. I was interning at the. That's where my boss didn't know my name. Yeah, and I was interning in sports, and I was up for an uh, editing job. I needed a job. I was getting ready to graduate, and a friend of mine hired me to work in the golf shop because I needed a job. Um, and the editing job didn't just never panned out. And I could have gone a totally different direction, yep. and yet here I sit. Yep. Um, and I think that's the craziness of all of it, the randomness to some degree. And I think, you know, that just, that sort of permeates through everything we, we do in our lives. There's, there's luck involved in every little aspect. Um, I, I think, mm-hmm. first off, though, for me, obviously, I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, you and I have talked about this many times, but... Um, and we can we can equate this to maybe uh, um, a little bit maybe um, I, I don't know I want to say less of them and important but you know being a woman in which I I am a woman yes yes um, in a male dominated field it's not though well okay the so bosses the, the bosses, bosses are men the bosses are men yeah. yes. So having the odds, let's put it this way, if we're, we're equating it to where I like to uh, sort of run alongside what some of my students and my listeners are running into, too. It's like having the odds sort of stacked against you a little bit. You know, things are hard. Uh, things are difficult. Um, how are you able to deal with that? Because, you know, it's not been an easy road. I've been along with you the whole way. <laughs> um, and it's been really interesting. Um, and it's also been very gratifying to watch you climb over yeah. a lot of that bullshit, yeah. um, to be perfectly honest. Well, I think a lot of it, it, and I was just telling a story the other day. When I was young, it's because I didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. I remember very clearly being in a meeting with a bunch of big swing and dick lawyers from D.C., and I was 22 maybe. So I was just stupid. I didn't know. And these are... Big name, like marquee name, DC lawyers. But I, I didn't know who they were because I, I didn't know. And I was in a meeting and I said something and they pushed back and I pushed back harder. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay. Not only can she think, but she can stand right. up for her ideas. And the, I still get credit for that meeting, what am I, 43 now? And I was 22 then? Do that math. I can't. Um, but now now I know better. You know, now, now I actually know what I'm doing. Um, but, you know, there's a lot. And I know it's fun 
for, um, you know, women to complain about being mansplained to, and I, I do it sometimes. I make fun of it, but it happens and, you know, you're in meetings and you say something and then it's repeated back to you exactly the same way. And then the person who said it gets credit for the idea and whatever, like just, I think part of it is knowing when to push back and speak up and take credit. And it's also knowing when to shut the fuck up and just, you know, the, the good idea is winning. So it's a win for all. Uh, and that's, that's not something anybody can teach you. I think it's just something you have to learn along the way. So I, I'm, I don't know that I've ever necessarily asked you this. Oh God, um, I'm so interested in what you're going to ask but me. I, obviously, anybody who's listened to this podcast knows that I talk a lot about failure and success because that's what this is sort of built on so people can understand what it's like. Um, that, this is me. That's the bottle of bourbon opening there as okay, I ask I'm, I'm getting ready because I feel like it's this a is bit, a heavy question. But uh, I, I think along the way, it's like I've asked many of these great guests that I've been lucky enough to have, you know, how do you deal with failure? But I think there's a deeper question that I think I have to ask you in this. And that is, how do you deal with failure, but stay on an even keel and not view it as someone, you know, if someone says, Hey, you have to do better at this, not viewing it as, Hey, um, you're, you're a woman, you need to do better at this. But your work just needs to be a better period. Like, how do you not immediately go to that? Because I feel like, given the given the circumstances and the environment you often had to deal with, I think it would be easy to jump to that. Well, I think you have to be honest with yourself and say, am I getting this criticism because I fucking suck? Or am I getting this criticism because I'm a woman? And a lot of times, you're getting it because you fucking suck. You know? You didn't do your best. And... And you know what? That's a learning experience, so right? When you suck, though, because this applies directly to a lot of a, a lot of folks, I think it's an important piece there. Is it because you didn't do your work and your preparation, or was there another reason? Usually, it's work and preparation, and not asking the right questions. So you didn't. So you, see, there's there's the word practice. Right. I just want to. Right. But I mean, the there. other thing is, like, if you fail. The first place you need to look is at yourself, not where else can I place the blame? You know, what outside force made this happen this way for me? It's what did I do? How could I have done better? And if you can honestly examine that and say, you know what? I did I did everything right. I did everything the best I could. It's all about accountability. And of course, there are going to be times when there are outside forces that cause you to fail. But more often than not, it's something that you didn't do well. And I think you you have to be willing to accept that. And that's how you grow and that's how you get better. But I've been around a lot of people who are always looking at that outside force. What was what was this random, you know, tsunami that happened? No. You have to look inward first because more often than not, that is where the answer is. And you have to be willing to be vulnerable with yourself and say, you know what? I could have done this better and be accountable. Accountability is huge. Yeah. I, well, 
So that's perfectly said because I've often spoke about and asked a lot of other great coaches and teachers and, and the like in these podcasts, like, you know, what do you think of people's ability to um, accurately self-assess? It's hard. And, and it's hard. And most of everybody who I've talked to said, oh, people suck at it, right? Well, I th- it, it all goes back to how you're raised. And, you know, you can get into this whole thing about generations. And I think there is some validity to that. But I also don't think Gen X is a monolith. Gen Y, Gen Z. It, it's not fair to look at it that way. But I was just thinking about this the other day. I was doing something. Can't remember what it was. But I was doing something. And I heard my father's voice in my head saying, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. But you know what? He pounded that into me as a kid. Yeah. And it didn't really sink in until I was a grown woman. And now it infuses into everything that I do. But it took a really long time. But I think you need someone, and not everybody has this, but you need someone pushing you in that direction, you know, as you're growing and as you're maturing. Not everybody has that. I was lucky enough to have that. It just took a little while. (laughs) It took a little while to take. But now, you know, it's everything. It's everything from work to how we are with the kids, to making my fucking sourdough. It's everything. Um, but, it, like I said, it took a while, but now I'm thinking about what we're trying to do with our kids and trying to give a little bit of grace to them, yeah. knowing how long it took for me to sort of absorb it. Yeah. So we're really talking about, I mean, we're really talking about here is work ethic. I mean, yeah. you know. Like, but it and, goes so far. It, it goes so far. Yeah. And, and you I, don't have to be book smart. You don't have to be academic. Right. You don't have to be anything. If you have a good work ethic, that is 80% of it. Yeah. And as a coach and a, and a manager, I mean, you manage people. I used to manage people. And now I coach people. And it's like, you can do everything that... Uh, you possibly can. And there's times where you internalize failures with people. And then you realize that, hey, when you start checking off the boxes, you did everything you can. Yep. At the end of the day, yep. your job as a manager and a coach is to lead the people to water. But they have, they have to, to drink. They have to want it. They have yeah, to want it. They have it. to drink. And I, I think that's difficult. And sometimes but you honestly have to be able to self-assess, too, and say, you know what? I didn't do a very good job here. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So, but you also hope that people are willing to learn by example. True. And, and I think that's... And you have to be the example. Sure. I think about Fred Huvel. You remember uh, Fred? Yeah. When... So back... I don't even remember what year it was. was Mark will remember. Ni- I don't. 1996, Lori worked... And the pro shop. We at, worked together there. Well, yeah, I worked in the back room, let's be honest. Right. Okay. So at the courses at Fort Meade on Fort Meade Army Base, which is um, uh, the courses are no longer there, but um, Fred Hoover was a fantastic PGA professional who was a great mentor for us. And he was the there. he was the pro. But when things got, like when we got in the weeds in the pro shop, he would hop on one of the registers and get to work. Right. 
And that was very instructive to me at a young age Mm -hmm. that, you know what? He's the big, big boss. He's usually in the back office doing the paperwork and thinking the smart thoughts. Right. But when things get busy, he was willing to jump in and do the same job I was doing. And that had an effect on me where I really respected him. And I, I felt like he would not ever ask me to do something that he was not prepared to do. Sure. Yeah. And that instructed me as someone who was eventually going to manage people. You know what? These people need to know that I will never ask them to do something that I am not prepared to do myself. And um, I, I found that so valuable. And I have so much respect for him for that. And it was so simple, but it had so much impact. Yeah. I, I mean, along the way here, um, yeah, I, I think there's so much to, to learn from that. I think as we as we progress and go and learn, you know, I, I think the examples that people set for us are massively important. Uh, you know, and from a coach's perspective, I mean, there's times where, you know, I've got to be able to uh, demonstrate or uh, show a student a particular shot. But I, I think also, um, if we're looking at another side of it, too, it's like somebody who, you know, is going to inspire you to become better at what you do. Um, their example is, is massive. And I tried to lead that way, too, and I was back in my head pro days back in the, in the day. So... Uh, it's kind of interesting how we all sort of build this foundation mm-hmm. that helps us later on in life. So I think one of the other questions, too, then would be, and I'd be curious, knowing what I know. Oh, boy. <laughs> like, was there a particular, because I've asked this one many times, was there a particular failure? And I know I'm asking a lot here, given 20 years. Oh, boy. Okay. But is there anything that stuck out? You don't have to name clients or whatever. But no, I won't. Do but that. Uh, obviously, but was there a particular failure, failure or something that that happened along the way as you worked up the ladder that that sort of, you know, obviously neither one of us particularly love uh, falling on our face. Nobody does. But sometimes it galvanizes you enough yeah. to say, you know what, I, I, I'm going to learn from this, and that's something that really had an effect on my mm. career? That's a great question. And it has been a long time. Yeah. And, you know, nothing, nothing really, really strikes me as a failure that, that really stuck with me. Okay. And I would love to say that's because I'm amazing, but <laughs> it's not. It's just because I, you know, I tend to compartmentalize things, and I think people who work with me today will even tell you, I like, I'll get through something, and then when it's over, I forget about it, and I move on. And I have a hard time remembering the details because I just move on, right? It's over, I'm done. Sure. Um, I think, if anything, you know, I use that example of not knowing any better in okay. that meeting with the, you know, big marquee lawyers. I think I got to a point in my career where I did know better and I didn't speak up. Hmm. And I think if I had to do it over again, I would do it differently. And it wasn't, you know, I tried something and it didn't work or 
I was supposed to try something and I didn't. And of course that was a failure. It's more of just, you know what? I could have done more, said more, stuck up for myself a little bit more. And you know what? You brought up being a woman and I try not to make that a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, the worst trouble and the hardest challenges I've ever had are with other women. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wish when I had had the opportunity in certain situations that I had said more and done more, but I didn't. Um, but you know what? You outlast. Mm-hmm. I, like to, I like to call myself the cockroach. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to out, I'm going to outlast you. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, that's it. I mean, there's not a there's not a, a colossal failure. If anything, I I really focus on and I remember the good things. I have so many amazing, wonderful memories of things over these twenty however many years. Um, really, really wonderful moments. Um, I, I will say, though, because I love this story, when I was working in television and I was in college, I was still in college, and I was um, splitting my time at the TV station between the news assignment desk and sports. Because growing up, I thought I was going to be the first female Major League Baseball player. Um, and was told constantly that's never going to happen. Um, so I, you know, went into television and, um, my boss on the sports side, and I'm not afraid to say it because I, he knows Mm -hmm. very well, um, a, a gentleman named Keith Mills, who's still in the business was hard on me. He was very hard on me as he should have been. But I remember, you know, I had to cut highlights of basketball games and I never watched basketball. I was, I I didn't know anything about basketball. Ask me about baseball. I'm good. Ask me about football. I can make it happen. Basketball. What's the paint? What's the alley-oop? I don't know, but I had to cut highlights for him. And I remember one particular night I cut highlights for him. This, this wasn't an easy job. Um, at that time, this was probably 1997 or 98. And there were just not a lot of women working in local sports. So when I did post-game with the Ravens or post-game with the Orioles locker room, I was just not welcome. And it it was tough. And I would hold it together at work. But when I got in my car and drove home, I cried. I cried every night. It was hard. It was, it was hard work. Um, but this one particular night... Keith just did not like the way that I cut his highlights. And you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And he ripped me a new one in the middle of the newsroom in front of everyone. And I had just had it. And I gave it right back to him. And I said, you know what? You don't like my work. You do it yourself. And from that moment, it was a different dynamic. And it wasn't about the work. It was about my willingness to stand up for my work. And it was it was just a different dynamic from that point. 
and uh, it made all the difference in the world and it changed everything. Now, I ultimately ended up, you know, going in a different direction, but I will never, ever forget the impact that that Keith had on me as a professional and pushing me and pushing me and not telling me he was pushing me, but just doing it and, you know, making it happen organically. And it was, it was very impactful and I will never forget it. He had, he had such a huge impact on me. Yeah. And I think what you're getting at there, and again, we always try and bring this back to, to some degree to a learning experience, but I think there's times in coaching, um, and management relationships. Certainly, I understand this, that there's times where uncomfortable honesty is probably the most advantageous thing you can ever have Absolutely. Um, because it's like, hey, look, I- I'm just not feeling this, or I'm frustrated. And you hash it out, and you realize that, you know, neither one of you were on the same page, maybe. Or you were working in different yeah. directions, even though you thought you had the the end result in mind. Um, you know, as you and Keith probably did that night, you just, you did the best you could. Um, his expectation maybe wasn't shared as clearly as it needed to be. Yeah. And sometimes that happens at coaching. It's like, hey, look, you got to do this, this, and this. And maybe I didn't do my job yeah. um, and letting you know that it's like, hey, y- you got to make sure that you practice this way. And if I leave it to open to interpretation, I'm also leaving it open to the possibility of frustration. But I think it's also knowing what motivates the individual. And that's what I think makes the yeah. best manager is knowing this person is going to um, respond when I kick him in the ass. This person is going to respond when I give them praise, but tell them they could do better. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's all like what what's going to push your buttons and it's different with every person. And I think that what that is what makes the best manager, the best boss is knowing I know what pushes your buttons and it's way different than what pushes his buttons. How long did it because you hit on it perfectly there because how long did it take you to figure out how to say the same thing to different people different ways I'm still figuring it out okay yeah because that that is a massive skill in the in the yep. coaching area yep. and management too yep. as you said everybody responds differently to different things and you know it's that whole thing it's like look you know you can't you can treat everybody fairly but you can't treat them the same yeah and you have to be able to push the correct buttons but i was only taught one way you know, what the hell? Right. What are you doing? That's how I was taught. Um, and I had to learn over many, many years that there are other ways to do it. And I think I do think there is a generational factor. Sure. Where, you know, people just learn in different ways. And I think people our age, I know you learned... Same way I did. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. You know, but people 10, 20 years younger than we are learned a different way. And you can have your opinions about whether or not that's valid, but it's true. And you have to bend 
your way of managing, your way of coaching to meet that so that you're getting the best out of the, the individual, however they learn. And it may not be the same as you did. And you know what? That's on you to learn, not on them. Yeah. I think it's the manager's responsibility to bend. Uh, talk about, um, we have a, a, well, mutual friend, I should say, I should say that, but really he's, I know him because you know him, but Peter Shankman, who was Shankman! on, with, us, yes, who was on uh, with me early on. And we talked about being a, um, a good listener and it's a, it's a, it's hard. Uh, well, being a good is. listener is hard. It's a vastly underrated skill in my it opinion. Is. Um, and we, I've had these discussions with many other coaches too, you know, and our, our good friend, Ryan Chaney always calls it, Chaney. Um, empty the cup, let them empty the cup. Like they're just going to go on and, right. let the, and let them get it all out. Yes. So talk to me about, you know, in your world dealing with some pretty significant clients, um, about being a good listener and trying not to maybe, you know, get in there and interject too quickly. It is a skill. And it is one that you have to work on daily. Because I think especially once you get to a certain point in your career where people expect you to be a counselor and expect you to know all of the answers, is you are thinking, okay, they're saying whatever they're saying. I have to think of a really smart, great thing to say in response to show them how smart I am, right? So you're spending 70% of the time that they're speaking thinking about your response instead of listening to what they're saying. So I think you have to train yourself to stop your mind from doing that and shut up because this whole time you're talking in your mind. This oh, is sure. what I'm going to say. Yeah. This is how I'm going to yeah. say it's smart. You need to just stop. And listen and let them finish and not just let them finish, but listen to them finish because you will hear so much that you would not hear if you were formulating your answer 30% into their response. So it is a, it is a mindful, you know, effort to, to do that. And it's something I still, I mean, I, I always want to feel like I have all the answers, right? You're paying me to have the answers. I got the answer, but you, there's so much you can learn and so much nuance and, you know, information if you just let them finish. And it's also okay to say, I need to think about that. I don't have the answer right now. Mm, I don't have the answer. Yeah. And You know this, too, because people are paying you to know the answer. That's how I feel. People are paying me to know the answer. Right. But sometimes the best answer comes with time and comes with rumination. And I got to think about it. I don't know right now. And the best clients get it. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that (laughs) that more. I mean... uh, I think it's taken some time for me to be able to do this. And I think I maybe asked Andrew Rice this when he was on, but... Um, I love you, Andrew. <laughs> she loves your, love your love accent, it. Andrew. Love you. Um, but, you know, it, it's you get into this long enough, and you do this long enough, 
you get more comfortable saying, um, uh, do you, you get more comfortable doing a couple of things. You get more comfortable saying, you know what? I need to think about that. Yes. As you said, uh, I don't know, but, but very key word. I'm going to find the answer out or here. Or sometimes there's someone else who knows the answer better than you can know. Correct. Which is in our, you know, in the golf side, it's, you know, Hey, I need to take you to see somebody who's a particular expert right. in a pers- personal area. Like, you know? I'm not a putting expert. Right. But right. I know someone who is a putting expert. Right. Fitness, whatever it is. And then um, silence sometimes is, you know, especially for me with students, I mean, I think it makes them uncomfortable. But I'm more comfortable with it now, you know, just not I think making it makes it you rest. more uncomfortable than it makes your students. Oh, I think sometimes it makes them uncomfortable because they want they – want, as a lot of my fellow coaches who are probably listening will know, they, this, some of the students want an answer after every swing, and I'm not willing to do that. And I'll say that they'll Good look at me, and they'll look at me, and they'll say, "Hey, look, you know, what'd you think of that one?" And I'm like, "I don't know." I said, "I have an idea, but I'm not willing to say anything because I don't teach on one swing." Yeah. Good for you. I teach on patterns. Good for you. Like you know, and so I, I, I think, you know, maturity, time, experience, all that stuff contributes oh, to goes your such ability. A long way. Yeah. To to be able to make a good um, head-on-your-shoulders decision and not just shoot from the hip, which is the worst thing you could possibly well, do. Well, it's shooting from the hip and, and feeling like you have to have all the answers. Yeah. No one person has all the answers. And a client who expects that doesn't know what they're talking about. Yeah. So let's talk, talk a little bit about uh, stress. Uh, oh, yeah, yes. yeah. Stress. I know we've talked a lot about that, and obviously a lot of people have been talking about that this year. Oh, God, it's been so bad. In 2020. But stress is something that my students have to deal with, um, obviously, in a much, um, to be perfectly honest, a, a much less important area when they're on the golf course yeah. on the first tee yeah. versus a lot of the other stresses a lot of right. people are dealing with. But stress is still a thing. Sure. Um, and so I, I always try and help them deal with it. So. A client puts pressure on you, and I'll equate this in a golf manner because it's what I know, but it's like, okay, the client puts the pressure on you, and you're on the 18th tee, and you've got a one-shot lead, and you've got to deliver. You've got to make par to win. You've got to be able to deliver um, whatever it is uh, for them, um, You know, get media coverage, whatever it may be. How do you deal with stress, and how do you manage um, your team when it comes to stress? I think it's, um, sort of taking a step back and just asking a lot of questions. What is the expectation? What are we in a position to do? What are the factors we can control? What are the factors we can't control? And how do we, like, what are we not thinking about? And, You know, and again, this goes back to the coaching, right? The coaching culture. And we're, I've actually learned a lot. Um, One of our clients is the International Coaching Federation, which is the organization that does accreditation and um, sort of ethics and and all this great work around professional coaches, um, executive coaches, life coaches. And we've learned a lot about the, how to build a coaching culture. And it's all about asking those powerful questions. And I think that goes a really long way in terms of breaking down what is causing the stress. 
And if the cause of the stress is we didn't manage expectations correctly, which happens a lot. You know, PR people tend to overpromise. You want this? We can give you this. We can go above and beyond. You know, and sometimes it's, you know, are we doing our best to manage expectations? And what is in our control, what is not? And I think asking those questions goes a really long way to sort of taking you out of that emotion and making it intellectual. Okay. Let's get out of that. Take a deep breath. Let's break it down. Let's make it factual. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps. But it's not something that people do instinctively. I think people instinctively go to like, ah! like the, everything's on fire. Yeah. And you, your job as an experienced professional is to say, no, everything's not on fire. Take a step back, deep breath. Let's look at this factually. And I think people need that and it works. And so that's kind of what I try to do is some people tend to be very emotional and very sort of like their, their first instinct is to freak out and just take a step back, take a deep breath, let's take a look at the facts and, you know, break it down. And I think that for me, that's what works. Well, so there's a lot, uh, if I have coaches who are listening on this, I, I think you want to maybe hit rewind and go back a little bit and listen to some of that. Um, and, I, and I think for students too, I think there's a, for golfers who are, are getting coaching, there's a lot to be learned in what, what was just said there because the best coaches and, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to spend time around people, uh, like my lovely wife and a lot of great people in other industries. But what you'll find is their simplistic approach to things. They have an, a, an in-depth understanding, but they break it down in a simpler manner. And they also take a much calmer approach. And I think what you just said there is really important. The best coaches that I've been around ask way more questions than they tell the person, the student, the coach, the client. Yeah, um, absolutely. Anything. It's they, the, it's the command and that. control yes. versus the let's get there together. Yeah. And I even do that with editing. I try to do that with editing where, you know, you'll send a document around, right? And, and one person will just redline the hell out of it. What I try to do, and this is a, again, it's like, mindfulness, effort. You know what? I'm not going to redline it. I'm going to put a bunch of comments in there and I'm going to ask questions. Is there, is there a different way that we could do this? Why are we saying this? This doesn't align with that. And just get the other people thinking because I don't want to be the only one who's thinking. Mm -hmm. I want to help other people get to the point where they're asking the same critical questions that I'm asking. And they're not going to get there if I'm just redlining something. They're going to get there if I'm asking the questions and then get them thinking. So that's, that's what I try to do. So you're essentially, uh, just so we're being clear, you're not giving them the answers all the time, but you're trying to let them essentially fall on their face to some degree at yes. times. So they can pick themselves up and say, oh, 
Okay, that's the answer. Right, because that's the that's where the power is. They get like they're coming to the realization on their own. Because if you bash it into their skulls, yeah. it's it's not gonna have the effect. And you know what? As a manager, you should want everyone to be getting better so that they can take your job. And I learned that again from my boss, Peter. The day I interviewed with him, he said, my job is open. It's available to you if you want it. But if he had done command and control the whole time, I never would have gotten there. It was through the coaching, through the questions, through the, you know, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? What about this? Um... So that's what I, I can't always say that I'm perfectly successful and I'm sure the people that I work with would probably have something to say about it, but I try, um, you know, to really bring people along the way I was brought along and because I don't want to be doing what I'm doing 20 years from now. I want one of the people who's working with me to be doing my job so that I can do another job. So a, um, and we could ask this question many ways, but I, I think if, if I was to equate it to coaching, um, you know, how does a person get better? But if a young, if a young professional, um, male or female, because it really doesn't matter at this point, I'm, I'm sure you have some um, specific um advice to give a female professional regardless but if a if a professional comes to you who is young and they want to get into the field uh, public relations but it really doesn't matter no. they just want to get matter. to another level they want to get better what would you what would would your advice be to them from the get-go they come out of the gate and they they want to become the best in their field they want to become a, a top person they want to become a president of a company yeah, like you absolutely yeah, yeah what would it be yeah yeah ask a lot of questions of people who are in the position you want to be in no one is born to be president of something or ceo i'm sorry you're just it's not the reality i think you have to ask a lot of questions and be willing to learn and be willing to have your thoughts and ideas and preconceived notions challenged. Um, I, I mean, that's that's the best I can say is just watch and learn and also ask a lot of questions. And also don't be willing to challenge appropriately, respectfully. Uh, but I really think it all just comes down to asking questions and observing. What is... Uh... What's your definition of success? <laughs> <laughs> and wow. and it's interesting for me to sit here across the table from you and ask this question, but <laughs> you know that's kind of funny. But uh, but what's no, your definition of great, success, and have you gotten there yet? It's a great question because I think the definition of success is so personal. And it's different for everyone. You know, the definition of success for the CEO of J.P. Morgan is going to be very different from my definition of success. My definition of success is to 
do work that challenges me, uh, gives me exposure to all kinds of different things. And that's why I'm in an agency. I want to be able to go from working with the statisticians to working for a casino to working for, you know, printing company. I, I need that variety. Right. Um, but it's also being able to live my life, which is where I think my definition, definition of success is a little different than, than others. You know, I don't want to be working 80 hour weeks, be on the road 300 days a year. That's not my idea of success at all. I want to do work that's fulfilling. I want to be able to provide for my family, but I also want to be there for my family. And I I feel like I have achieved that. Uh, I can't envision a scenario where I'm happier with that balance than I am now. Well, so that's interesting to get the to get that answer, but. Um... And I know it's sort of a back and forth and an ebb and flow. Um, so being that it is the Driving Improvement Podcast, yeah, um, I know in our industry there's a lot of opportunities for improvement uh, in terms of seminars, spending time with other professionals. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot of uh, doors you can open mm-hmm. to get better at what you do. Yeah. Where do you go for improvement? Because you've been doing this for 20 years. Oh, my I, God. I, I have so much to learn. <laughs> Well, so interesting. So there's your nugget right there, friends. Like 20 plus years in the industry, and and there's the first thing out of her mouth. Um, For any coaches out there, if you think you've learned it all, you're in trouble. Oh, my gosh. Um, So what's the answer? I mean, where where do you go for improvement? Well, there's a couple examples, and there are more that I will discover that I will tell you about when I discover them. But one is, you know, I think you have to go to your industry, right? Where, where are your best thinkers? Where are your most successful people? So for us, it's the Public Relations Society of America. Um, and I, uh, I'm a member of the Counselors Academy, which is kind of all of the agency leaders, the owners, the presidents, people at my level who are, you know, constantly just grinding through the day-to-day challenges. How do I do this? How do I deal with people? How do I deal with clients? But I also think there's a business, you know, you have to look at it from the business lens. And so there's um, a lot of really great resources out there just on the business side, outside of PR. Um, Harvard Business Review, I love reading their stuff. Um, But then there's also kind of the masters of their professions. And so one of the things that we did for our people this year, which I'm really excited about, for a holiday gift was we gave everyone a year subscription to Masterclass. Very cool. Where you can learn from Anna Wintour talking about sort of her craft at at, uh, magazine publishing, Uh, bakers, storytellers, you know, everyone who's kind of at the top of their craft And it doesn't matter if it's directly aligned with what you do for a living. It's how do you think, how do you grow, how do you master a certain 
area of expertise. And that, you know, we don't tie that at all to work. So it's not like go to your master class and then come back and let everybody in the company know what you learn. It's just, you know what? Go grow. And if you grow, you're going to be better for us. So I'm really excited to, to dig into that. Um, and to learn from all of these wonderful masters uh, of their industries on, you know, how to get better. But I think you have to look at your own field, kind of business in general, and then outside, creativity, whatever it is. Um, there's different ways to look at it, but I think you have to seek that out in a lot of different ways. So, interesting. Um perspective on and sort of how to to get better and, and a lot of different I think when you listen to what you just said there it's kind of like there's a lot of different ways mm. to do it yeah um, and you need to be looking all over the place yeah uh, if you want to get better if you're pigeonholed if you're thinking you have it down which nobody ever nobody has. ever nobody has it, has it. No. nobody the no. CEO of the biggest companies in the world are still learning. Yeah. And we talk about this all the time, too. I mean, you know, uh, giving bad lessons. The better you get at teaching, you still give them. It's, it just still happens. There's a lot of reasons for it. But those are the ones that, in the end, you probably learn the most from um, yep. because they eat at you at yep. night. Yep. Uh, so that's, that's the, best, uh, the best learning experience. Mm -hmm. Failure, for sure, yep. in, in some instances. So, um, Christmas night. Oh, God. <laughs> you have that yeah. look on your face. Yeah, I, no, what is I, this question? No, nothing. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I, I think this has been really good. And I, I'm I, I shocked. Think, yeah, considering how much uh, food and other stuff we've taken in tonight. Um, but honestly, I, I hope that, you know, everyone listening tonight uh, to this, to episode 10, uh, has lucky 10 and lucky number 10 has enjoyed it and learned a lot I, I think there's there's a ton to be picked up here but I, I think it's a journey I said that from yeah. uh, episode one with Jonathan to now that uh, getting better is not a straight line uh, it is a messy. bumpy messy, messy chaotic crazy world but you got to accept the improvement journey as a part of the process and in part accept it as um, its own thing. It's not just about playing the game or getting better, whatever it is you're listening for. But you got to accept the fact that whatever you're trying to get better at, yeah. that's its own challenge, that's its own game, and you can get better at what you're doing. You just have to be willing to uh, do the work. Well, and you have to be willing to own the fact that you don't know everything. Yeah. And that there is a heck of a lot of room for you to learn and get better. And the the older I get and the more experienced I get, the more I know I have so much to learn. <laughs> well, there you go, folks. There's your... Uh... There's your info for the day. So, cheers, babe. Cheers, babe.
Merry, <laughs> thunk. Mer- yeah, thunk. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, happy, Merry Christmas. happy whatever you celebrate. Yeah, happy holidays. Happy Festivus. Happy, happy Festivus. Yeah. Happy end of 2020. I yeah. hope that you have made it through this year healthy, minimal sacrifice, minimal trauma. It's been tough. We've all had to adjust and figure it out. And God knows I have had my moments of utter (laughs) just panic. But, um, you know, it's it's coming to an end and there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we wish you all the best uh, because as most of you know who know me know um, my reason for everything that I do the the biggest part of my reason is sitting across the is table me. from me now yeah <laughs> she's humble too uh, <laughs> you know um, and our other two reasons are hopefully asleep on the floor so we, uh, the dog is taking care of them we yeah they're fine there. They're fine. She's a German Shepherd. So, <laughs> hey, everybody, uh, listen, uh, thank you for for listening, uh, for having a little fun with us tonight on Christmas. Uh, we wish you the best uh, to you and your family. Have a great Christmas, and uh, we'll talk to you soon on the Driving Improvement Podcast. See you, babe. Happy New Year. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Driving Improvement Podcast, uh, the Christmas edition. Uh, I want to, <laughs> I want ho ho ho. I want to thank all of you for listening and all of the support in 2020. Uh, as Lori said, do what makes you happy, do what's fulfilling, as she said. And I think the other piece too that you want to take away is keep searching, get better. Uh, just because you've reached the top of the tidal mountain doesn't mean you've learned everything there is to know and you've got to keep grinding and keep trying to get better and learn more uh, thank you again for listening in 2020 to the driving Room podcast i'm mark russo until i uh, get with you in 2021 thank you so much again have a great new year and we'll see you on the lesson team